Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, depending on what part of the world you're in. Today's clinic is Copywriting on Tight Deadlines, How Ordinary Marketers Are Achieving a 103% Gain or Gains with a Step-by-Step Framework. Now, the 103% is important because it suggests to you that beneath the series of recommendations, there is a data set. Candidly, that 103% represents one experiment in an entire library of case studies that have helped to shape what you're going to learn today. But it touches closely on something that I think marketers struggle with on a daily basis. We are under pressure. We have deadlines. We have results that we must achieve, and even when we achieve them, they're followed by yet another demand for a higher level of results. In the midst of this pressure, we're asked to write good copy. And I have talked to marketers all over the world who expressed to me a sort of insecurity about their ability to craft just the right presentation of their offer. In fact, we have heard of those gurus on the Internet who charge enormous amounts of money and can help craft the beautiful long copy sale. Some of us have learned a few principles from a clinic or from a blog or from a book. But most of us don't have a repeatable methodology, a clear uh, sort of systematic way to get the answers. I'd like to do two things today. I'd like to help you sort of discover the framework that we have been pioneering through our research. But more importantly, I'd like to sort of inspire you in the sense that you need to be encouraged. You don't have to be a word master to write great copy. Clarity comes persuasion. We'll say more about that before we're done. But understanding the way human thought unfolds in a sort of story sequence, learning how to pace and synchronize your structure, your words, your offer, in a way that connects deeply with that unfolding structure is something that can sort of set you free and give you peace about achieving remarkably effective copy in a short period of time. We'll talk more about that before we're done, but uh, I want to remind you that you can, you can use hashtag webclinic in order to discuss or to uh, give us questions, answers, comment on what's taking place. I also want to point out that I'm joined today by John Powell and Paul Cheney. Paul is appropriate for this. Uh, we've been pushing him to get on stage. He's actually one of our top copywriters. He's responsible for a lot of the work that you see all over the Internet and a lot of the work that you see coming out of MechLabs, Marketing Experiments, etc. John Powell uh, started out, I think I can say this, can I, John, years ago, many years ago, about a hundred years ago, as my assistant. Uh, he was not a normal hire. He was hired to be more than my assistant, but he was put into a mentoring program. Today, there is a whole room full of young men who sit behind me and participate in all that we do. John went through that program and excelled. Today, he's a senior uh, manager of research and strategy. He handles some of the largest projects we do around the world with some of the largest companies in the world and has had to work through many of the challenges I'm going to talk to you about. He's here, along with Paul, to sort of add uh, more 
texture to what I have to say. And before the day is over with, we're going to be taking copy that you've submitted and beginning to optimize and make suggestions for you about how to improve your headlines and your transitions, etc. This will be a very dense clinic, full of information, and you'll need to follow me because I've got to pace myself to achieve as much as possible in the shortest period of time and yet maintain some level of simplicity and clarity. And I must say that after the case study, for just a bit, you might be confused, wondering, how does all this connect? But you'll see. Before we're done, we'll try to bring it all together in a sort of uh, controlling image, a unifying theme that will help you go away saying, I know what to do next as I start my next offer page. Keeping that in mind, let me talk to you about an experiment. You'll recognize the company. It's Encyclopedia Britannica. We worked with a senior leader and their management team years ago as they were challenged with the digital age. Encyclopedia Britannica had a digital subscription offer. This is a long story. I could spend an hour explaining it. But it's a lovely way to talk about the importance of crafting proper copy. And you can see the original, the control. This was their best performing page. And on this page is essential information that will help you make the decision to purchase a subscription. I have to say that while it's difficult to discern, this particular offer had a rich value proposition, even in the face, and yes, I'm going to say a dirty word in, in the Britannica world, I suppose, not that they've ever said that, but, and I like them, but um, uh, both groups, but in sort of the age of the Internet and particularly Wikipedia, they still had an offer with significant value. But understand there's a difference between reality and perception. And for the, the prospect, perception is reality. So the question became, how do we communicate this in a more effective way? Now, I'd like to tell you the series of experiments, the conversation we had with them. There was a sort of research grant in the form of a bonus on top of the normal research uh, sort of budget that we had to work with based on achieving what they felt was a stellar number, 20%. They felt it would be the highest number we could uh, achieve together. We did sort of talk them into, after much laughter, uh, a grant based on 50%. And then we did something rather ridiculous. We asked what would happen if we could help you achieve 100%. Now, 100% means a doubling of revenue. You would recognize that. A doubling of revenue for a digital offer, which, of course, entails a great deal of profit. The leaders on the Britannica side were intelligent, they were capable and they were determined to do whatever it takes to make a difference. So we teamed up. And I could, again, unpack all of the changes that were made, but this is to help you understand the significance of recrafting critical expressions. And so if you look at the first page and then you look at the treatment, you'll notice that there's a new headline. The subheadline uh, de uh, describes exactly what you get. There is a dramatic difference between the two. I'll show them to you in just a moment side by side. But there's a dramatic difference between the two. Bullets are used to emphasize the valuable features. Specificity is brought in instead of vague claims. The graphic is redesigned to communicate the essence of the value proposition. And yes, we do something that might be crass in today's uh, world of design beauty. We use a caption. But if you just look at the graphic and read the caption, in one moment you capture the essence of the offer. I could say so much more. But there's enormous amount of science in this treatment. And 
I could talk about the way we emphasize the savings. See that yellow highlight? That's not something we did on the slide. That was done on the original page because at the precise moment we asked you to start your free trial, we remind you that if you continue, you'll save X hundreds of dollars, over $1,200 off the price of the print editions. Now, by the way, we arrived at that number on our own by asking lots of questions. It didn't appear on the original page. In fact, I don't think it was clear to anyone that you were getting full access to the complete Encyclopedia Britannica set. And when you start comparing the cost of a free trial, which was remarkably low, it looked like $11.95 a month, compared to the enormous savings off the print edition, knowing that you're also getting much more up-to-date information, etc., 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 in formats that are more useful, I could go on and on. We suddenly had something very powerful to say. It was just a matter of asking the right questions. One of those questions we asked is, well, how much does a print edition cost? We had an interesting series of answers to that, but eventually we got to the bottom line and compared the differential and began to craft that little statement with a yellow highlight in bold text. I could say a great deal more. All I want you to see, not so much learning from this case study yet, I just want to make a point. I want to make a point that when you compare the original which had two years of optimization work before we got involved and lots of copywriting expertise from expert copywriters. And you compare the treatment. There's a dramatic difference in the way we interact with the thought sequence of the person reading the copy. I don't believe in optimizing web pages. I believe in optimizing thought sequences. And that's what occurred here. And without going into too much more detail, you can read a full explanation of the case study at marketingexperiments.com. Look at the difference. The new page produced a 103% increase in conversion. That's rich. Many of the classic copywriting approaches were completely eliminated on this treatment. Lots of the, in fact, the kinds of words that we so, so frequently see sprinkled into our, our power copy, those words were missing. But they weren't missing because we overlooked them. We tore them out with a ruthless intent because they were in the way of the messaging. And what you see as a result is essentially a doubling of revenue. Now, here's a point. If you've never been to one of these clinics, please know this. I'm not interested in pressing you with the scientists at Mech Labs or marketing experiments. Nor is it important for us to simply entertain you in the time that we have. This is to ground what I want to say next in data and to draw out some critical points that you need to understand that will power the step-by-step -step process that's getting ready to unfold for you. The first is this. When it comes to crafting effective copy, clarity trumps persuasion. I cannot say that often enough. I've said it in a new way recently in my book that's coming out. I've said when you understand the value proposition, and you implement it properly. Clarity is persuasion. For now, you need to understand that you don't have to worry so much about learning those rich power words or getting the perfect structure or learning how to somehow hate people, persuade people, overwhelm them with, uh, the, with the power of, of, uh, of influence. But rather, you need to know how to say clearly something true. And I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Brings me to the second piece, though. In order to achieve clarity, you've got to synchronize the flow of your copy to the thought sequence of the reader. Very important point. Now, it's one of those points 
that you can listen to and say, you know, that makes sense. But just because it makes sense doesn't make it easy to translate into action. Much of this clinic is going to be about how to make point two come alive on your pages. Which brings me to point three. Human thoughts tend to arrange themselves in story form. Therefore, synchronizing your copy to the visitor's thought sequence requires a story-based framework. Now, this is perhaps one of the most important things I can emphasize. And for a bit, we're going to talk about story. And as we do, I hope you're going to, to realize that somehow, someway, this is going to connect back to point two and enable point one. These are principles. These are not steps. These principles, however, set up the steps. Before I can take you through the steps and then the live optimization, I need to explain how point three really works. So that's the plan. And it begins with a simple question, summarizing everything I've said. I don't have all night. You don't have all night. You have deadlines. I have deadlines. Everybody in this business has deadlines. But how can we write effective copy in the limited time that we're given? That brings me to this sort of explanation of story. And on the left is a copy of a book from my library. It's called Aristotle's Poetics. I read it first years ago. I've read it again on multiple occasions. Poetics was Aristotle's sort of uh, ruminations on the power of story. And he described a multi-act sequence for the way story should unfold that to this day drives what you see when you move into the average movie theater and watch a major motion picture. It's fascinating to me that human nature is so consistent that what Aristotle said thousands of years ago have implications, deep and significant implications for what you and I do and for what we even see on the screen. Now, I have next to that my second favorite book on story, written by a PhD who's done something that many PhDs can't do. He's transcended his discipline to learn how to communicate to to people without a PhD. And he's written a phenomenal book. This is an older book, but a superb book, the best I've read yet, on story by Robert McKee. I'd recommend it. Robert fixes screenplays. And Robert trains the best writers in the world. And he's superb at what he does. And I have been interested in his work because I've written a lot of screenplays and a lot of fiction. And I'm... In fact, this isn't in the script. And, and I may get in trouble for this. And you can Twitter me or, you know, you can tweet me and tell me that uh, this was stupid for me to say. But I want you to understand that I've been storing, studying story for years as part of the understanding of what happens at Mech Labs. We've also been producing television. You probably don't know that. I won a prize for, uh, a grand prize for short story and fiction in a U.S. competition constantly as, I, as I'm trying to understand this process. I don't say that. I feel very awkward saying that. But, but I want you to know that... Uh, a deep understanding of story has a lot to do with what we've been teaching you about optimization and what we've been researching for all these years in the laboratory. So let's think about story and understand how the typical story is paced. You can see there's a three-act structure. The beginning, the middle, and the end. The exposition, the rising action, the climax, and the falling action, and the resolution. Those are common terms for the writer. I want you to notice that there are small bits of drama. Do you see if you look on the, on the graph, you'll actually see where there are sort of drops, peaks, and valleys within the major peak and uh, major drop. Those sub-stories, those sub-dramas are critical because copy has the same sort of pattern embedded in it. And 
And you might liken the exposition portion of the story where we're sort of setting up what's going to come next, where we're laying the foundation. Exposition is a lot like what happens in your channels. We have a, an example here for, in the form of a paid search ad. The paid search ad is creating space in your mind for what comes next. It's connecting to a question that you have. It's intensifying that question and driving you towards a, a potential resolution. But it sort of follows a pattern. And uh, the overarching goal of the step is to engage the visitor, to start building the problem and lead them deeper into conversation. Now, there then comes the rising action. And this landing page has peaks and valleys in a sort of growing... And by the way, it's, it's, it's a good example because it's not your classic long copy page. It's not the page you might see for, say, marketing experiments or marketing Sherpa when it comes to a summit. But yet, even in e-commerce or any page we interact with, there should be an understanding about this rising action. The rising action is intensified mainly through the landing page. The overarching goal is to continue intensifying the problem and present your value at, or really in the form of the unique solution. And there's sort of some sub-stories surrounding the step levels in this process. Those step levels are tightly connected to something you've heard me teach in other clinics. I can't teach it now, called the micro yeses. If you know uh, my theory and teaching about the inverted funnel, I've said to you many times that the funnel is essentially a series of micro yeses that lead towards a macro yes. As you consider that and as you reflect on that, look, about, look at this story. And before we're done, again, if you're new, if you haven't been to one of these clinics before, stay with us because this is going to get very practical with lots of examples and steps in just a few moments. Now, you have the climax. We can argue about where the climax is in the purchase process, but in this example, we, we position it right there where you sort of click the button. The climax is not the purchase, but it's the decision to purchase. And what we have to be careful of is that in this falling action, we don't lose them, and that we achieve full resolution. So, when I say decision to purchase, really it's the decision to take the primary conversion action. Just to be clear for those of you that might have an offer that doesn't lead towards that, it might, it might generate leads. As it relates to conversion, the following action occurs after the conversion commitment has been made and consists of all the steps required to actualize the decision. And you might say, but, but you know, shouldn't it be escalating at that point? In a sense, yes, but really the, the, the steps afterwards support a sort of climactic decision to say yes. And unless we mess them up, the assumption is the person who clicked this, and I'm only talking about the legitimate candidate, the legitimate prospect who clicks this, is now made the main decision. We just got to keep from losing them in the follow-up. And then there's the resolution. And that occurs when the visitor is aware of and satisfied with the completion or the actualization of what we call in philosophy the value exchange. And the goal is to sort of bring peace, to reassure the visitor. This is sort of the satisfaction of the initial void, the initial need, the initial problem. Now, here's the question I'd be asking if I were you. Okay. Interesting, Doc, but how does this help me write clear copy? I mean, I think that we debated precisely how much of this... Because you see, if I was doing four hours, I'd probably take an hour and a half to teach what I just talked to you about. The more you understand it, the more you're going to understand how to communicate to people who essentially are living out a story as they interact with your offer. 
The climax of that story is the decision for the value exchange. You have got to know how to get into that story and guide it. But let's talk about how it connects to writing clear copy. Here's a key, though. By knowing where each copy element falls in the story, you can carefully craft each word, each sentence, each paragraph to specifically match the visitor's thought sequence. And so, let's look at an example, and then we're going to break it down into steps. You're going to see the Optimization Summit 2011. No, this is not a commercial for the Optimization Summit in 2012. This is last year's. By the way, the 2012, however, is next, what is it, a week from now in Denver? I think I fly out this Sunday to get prepared for four days. But this is from the year before. And if you look carefully at this page, it looks like well-written copy. Headline, subheadline, opening line underneath that. This is the event you can't afford to miss. The stakes are too high. Doesn't that sound like classic copy? And then, if you're like most, you see the psychology of that? If you're like most marketers and business executives, now we're identifying with them. Uh, your day is a whirlwind of activity, and it begins to sort of paint a problem. If you're not taking the time to measure what matters, I'm just sort of skipping ahead. Experiment and test. Everything on here would pass the muster of the average copywriting analysis. But the whole page is fatally flawed. This was an authentic page created in our group by one of our members pre-testing as we were thinking about the way to approach this. That's the top half. Here's the bottom half of the page. Um, look at the button. I hate it. Uh, video of Flint. I probably hate that the most. I don't like my videos. I prefer not to watch them. Um, and, and, and Paul is over here making fun of me right now. I, I, um, I'm going to do the next one with a Fabio wig, Paul, and just sort of give myself that luxurious... Uh, Anyway, um, look at one, two, three, four. We lay it out. We ask for the, the, the action. Now, I want you to see the draft. You can see it here. And I want you to see the optimized final. And notice that there is a significant difference. First of all, in the message, apply the science of optimization to your marketing. Then there is a difference in the, in the two lines of the first paragraph, what we say next, what we say in the bullet points. And you may say, well, I don't understand the big difference yet. You will. We're going to break it down. All I want you to see is the difference. Every piece of copy, and I, I emphasize this before I flip to the results. Every piece of copy doesn't have to be a masterpiece, but every piece of copy must be clear. Listen to me. Some of us are perfectionists. Our copy is never done, just like a good book is never done. But we work within deadlines and all we can do is achieve the most that we can within the limitations of our resources. In many cases, this is time. It's often a combination of time and budget because we don't have the budget to outsource either. The reality is, marketer, take a deep breath. You don't have to write masterpieces. In fact, if your product is good enough, if your offer is good enough, if your value proposition is strong enough, a masterpiece is uh, redundant. You need to know how to say things right. I'm going to say it again. You need to know how to say things right. There's a difference between trying to say things right and simply uh, writing a piece or creating a piece of beautiful copywriting art. There will be a time in your career when you get to sit down probably and take all the time you want because what you're going to do next is so important. Congratulations. It'll be a lovely creative experience. But that's not the world most of us live in day to day. So we quickly move to this piece. I want to tell you that I could shred the piece on the right. But it was sufficient. It was sufficient because you can see the difference in tickets sold 
uh, and I won't get into the testing experiments, and I know that uh, there's much more I could say about this to help you understand why and how we know the second worked better than the first, but can you see the difference in projection? Do you see how many more tickets we sold than we actually expected to sell? And it continued. This year, again, we're, we're at record levels for 2012 and the event coming up right now. So, what I'd like you to go back and ask yourself is, what was the difference? And there is a more profound question. What was the difference that we can sort of actualize in a transferable set of <coughs> principles, steps? Principles converted to steps that you can follow. That is the balance of our time together. That's going to guide how I speak to you and set us up for the live optimization. So, be ready with a pencil, perhaps, to mark down these steps and the supporting information beneath them. And let's take a framework and unpack these two pages. So, I shall begin by showing you the entire page. Look how long it is. By the way, long copy is perfectly acceptable in many situations that you wouldn't believe. Are you saying, you might be asking Dr. McLaughlin, is long copy the best and always the best way? No, it's not. But I'll tell you what, our problem isn't that we overuse it, it's that we underuse it. And too many times marketers are busy figuring that they're going to improve conversion by getting all that text off the page. Big mistake in most cases. It's not getting the text off the page. It's getting the wrong text off the page and adding the right text. That's a different position. That's a different perspective. And it's the one you need to adopt if you're going to get the highest conversion rates. So, if you look at the page behind me, it's quite long. But remember, we sold out. And remember that everybody that purchased went through this process virtually. There was only one gateway. And they all went through this gateway. And we didn't go to a trade show and pre-sell this. Almost all the orders came through an interaction with the page you're seeing right there. So, I want to make a point. You can see it on the right-hand side of the screen. There are, in some ways, three acts in a story and three steps to crafting a compelling piece of copy. So, let's begin with the exposition. You'll see step one is to set up what's coming next. Now, that's a very important point because we often think that the headline's job is simply to interrupt them. Advertising has gotten good at interrupting us. In ways we don't expect. Now, have you clicked on a website, started to read, and something pops up in your face and makes you click and interact with it? Or they hide a little X somewhere that's difficult for you to discover so they can get you to have to somehow interact with this interrupt they've placed right in front of you. I'm not saying that's always bad. But I am saying that in most cases, it's, uh, it's not a great way to create a great relationship with a person whom you need mostly. Uh, and whom you need a great relationship with, most of all, the customer. Drucker said the purpose of a business is to create a customer. It's a bad way to create a customer. Now, am I saying those are always wrong? I am not. But fundamentally, interruption is not enough. Do I need your attention? Yes. But getting your attention is not enough. So, in the second step, we, we transfer the attention into a series of, of subplots, subdramas, sub-stories that keep the action in the mind rising, moving towards the, the climax of the resolution. That's happening in this page. Now, you can see that the middle block is a big block. So you might say, well, I see these three points, but the middle block is so big, how do I actually find some sort of parity here? How do I connect all of these pieces? I want to share that with you. But I want to start by working with each phase. And I'm going to go back to story, and then back to the example, and then give you sort of sub-steps and principles. So, here's a scene that most of you probably recall. You're going to be, um, you might be surprised, but I never saw Star Wars. Uh, 
and I'm being made fun of it ever since we ever since we started this uh, preparation for the first time we delivered this this clinic. I uh, I was in the Yukon in the bush, no electricity, no running water, uh, 120 miles out of Whitehorse, and uh, in a log cabin. It was 40 below zero, even 60 below zero sometimes. Really cold. I had 3,000 books. My dad's library. My dad's a scholar, but we didn't have TV. And I didn't see a lot. Now, part of the time I was in the bush, and it, but even before the bush, you know, uh, it, I, I just I didn't see a lot of the theatrical releases. So Star Wars was a blockbuster hit, and if you paid any attention to the uh, recent issue of Forbes magazine, you'll see that Lucas is still making money. I don't have the numbers. I think from my memory. Please, you can correct me via Twitter if you'd like. I, I think it was almost $93 million, but $90 million plus he made this year mostly from that franchise as it still produces money. He's on the list of the top 100 most uh, powerful celebrities. But in the story, the expedition does two things. And you see it here in Star Wars and We've since watched pieces of it, and I have experts on my staff. Dan, by the way, one of our senior editors, is a, is a Star Wars uh, aficionado. And uh, <laughs> we turn to Dan when we have questions. But I think Paul's seen it, and probably everybody else in the whole company but me. Um, yes, he's got, I got two thumbs up from Dan through the studio window. Uh, did I say? Anyway, captures the audience's <laughs> attention. Number one. But the second thing that the exposition does is it sets the stage for the rest of the story by achieving story click. Now, story click something screenwriters are familiar with. Have you ever sat down to watch a movie and it got your attention, but you don't really know what you're looking at. You're trying to figure out where all this is going and you don't mind that in the beginning. You're sort of carefully trying to sort it out. You're interested. Writers have discovered that if they wait too long, however, to give you the story click, the audience gets impatient, frustrated, upset. The good screenwriter knows how to start with something that captures your attention. Typically, it's curiosity. And they convert curiosity into suspense. Curiosity makes you want to know what's going to happen. Suspense is more connected to the characters and you're wondering what's going to happen to them. Either way, at some point in any movie you've seen, whether it's Mission Impossible or the latest theatrical release, there's a point where you get where the story's going, the basic context. That's called story click. Now listen, in web page after web page, in in long copy page after long copy page, short copy, and every variety, even e-commerce sites, I go there and can't find the story click. I don't actually know the direction all of this is going and what I'm supposed to do. We'll look at examples coming up. But you've got to accomplish two things in, the ex, uh, in that exposition at the beginning. You've got to capture their attention and you've got to convert it into interest by helping them sort of grasp where all this is going. Look here. Here's an example. The headline captures your attention. We don't use uh, a powerful subheader. When I say powerful, it depends on whether you call that first paragraph a subheader or not. In our case, it was sufficient. And marketing experiments in particular, it's careful not to sound too much like some sort of uh, typical vendor or drive anything that has hype. Because we're a laboratory and uh, there's a sort of clinical approach. But it says the Optimization Summit is laser focused on helping marketers discover what really works in optimization and how to apply the science of optimization to their specific marketing needs. And so we've, we've sort of very quickly captured your attention and then we've set up what's coming next and all of that is of no value unless we can arrest your attention at the beginning, convert it into interest, 
and uh, then move you forward into the main body of copy. Anybody that's heard me teach on headlines knows something. I tell you this, that the headline has the precise same job. It is, in fact, a pickup line. The goal of a headline is to get someone into conversation. It's not to sell your product. It's not even to express your value proposition. Can you express your value proposition with a headline? Often it's the best way, but that's still not the point. That's just a means. You need the headline to get their attention and focus it down into the beginning of conversation. And we found there are two critical ways. These are things worth making note of. If you want to get exposition right in your copy, consider making a promise. It has to be a credible promise. One that instantly feels like you can deliver upon. And also consider identifying a problem. Now, we present solutions before we build problems. That's a big mistake. The only time you can ignore spending too much time on the problem is when the audience already feels it acutely and knows that you're presenting a solution to that particular, that very relevant problem. But in every case, the problem must precede the resolution. I'm going to go on. So the goal of the first paragraph, then, is to get them deeper into this conversation and you have to answer three questions right away in order to sort of establish story click. The first one is, where am I? Anytime there's transition, anytime people move from one place to another, they, uh, they, they have to sort of orient themselves. And this occurs, this occurs on the page as well as it does on a piece of uh, geography. It occurs in the mind. When people come out of a search engine, they're not sure they're on the page they want to be on. They're not sure they're on the right page. If they are unclear, they seek clarity by clicking the little green arrow at the top. They land on your page with one foot forward and one back foot in the search engine. And your job is to immediately get the back foot out of the search engine and onto your page. Otherwise, they will pick up their front foot, go back to the search engine and click on another. Now, those of you that are seeing this on video and will see the reaper, because you can get, I'm going to be teaching all of this on video and if you haven't done this before, we'll give you access to watch me teaching this, but you sort of find this movement going on and Google counts on it's how they make their money. We, we go to the search engine, we take a step in, we look around. If this is what we're looking for, we might bring our back foot over and now we're clearly on the page. Most of us, however, don't, not with the first click. We pull that, that, that front foot back out and we click on another and then we click on another until we find something that feels like it's where we're supposed to be. Now, as soon as we get there, we have another question. We don't know we have this question. It's not like we, we typically articulate it in our conscious mind, but it's right there in the subconscious mind and it's driving our activities. What can I do here? How many of you have clicked onto a landing page and you don't even know what you're supposed to do? That's 80% of the pages I see on the internet. Those of you in e-commerce, it's a little bit easier, but even there, we don't know the best way to shop. We shop by brand, we shop by category, uh, do we shop by product name? How do I find what I'm looking for in the fastest possible way? Many times, we put a bunch of products right in their face, right on the home page, and if you happen to be looking for one of those products, it's very powerful. But if not, we confuse them. Am I against putting key products on the home page? I'm not. I think it works, but you've got to know how to do it, or you will confuse them, because they're not sure what they can do here, or the easiest way to get it done. Which brings me to the third point. Why should I do it? This is the beginning of the value proposition. The most profound thing we've discovered at Mech Labs is a functional framework for the value proposition. We have a primary value proposition, we have derivatives, and a lot of research behind it. I can't explain it now, but I can articulate a single question. Your value proposition 
is essentially embodied in the answer to a prime question. And it is this. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? So you can answer that. You're not ready to trade. You're simply surviving on pockets of ignorance. So if you've been in these clinics, you've heard me talk about these three critical questions. Forgive me, much of what you're going to hear next will be different than what you've probably heard before. But I cannot skip this because we are in those first four inches, those first seven seconds. And part of what you have to do with the headline and subheader and opening line of the paragraph is begin to answer those questions. You must answer one and two instantly and start to answer three within the first paragraph. By the way, this assumes you have a paragraph. Copywriters of the world, those of you that are online right now, you know the importance of a paragraph, but too many marketers are relying on some sort of television production. We call it flash. We're going to hit them with entertainment. And then when they're trying to read it, we're going to switch it up on them. And it's really good because, A, when we show it to management, it looks like it's, uh, it's, it's sophisticated. It looks like what they see on television. And also, it solves a lot of real estate wars because you have six people wanting that same four inches, so we'll get it to all six of them, three seconds at a time. And all we're doing is operating with company logic instead of customer logic. We're satisfying our needs instead of the customer's needs. The customer needs to know where he's at, what he can do here, and why he should do it. And we often interfere with that process by bouncing images in front of them instead of talking to them. Keep that in mind, and let's keep going. So... It's important also that you answer the what before you answer the why. A lot of us start talking about how great we are and why you should do business with us. Well, first of all, if you do that in the wrong tone, I don't trust you to start with because if your marketing voice is different than your real world voice, we've already got a problem. Marketers will meet each other after work, sit down at a bar and have a conversation that's, that's honest and transparent and, and it uh, builds relationships and they'll go right back to their office and write with a whole different voice that sort of sounds like the marketing voice of the world. It's full of hype. We say we're the leading this, and the world's the fastest that, and the greatest this. And all we're doing is using language that if we took it with us after work to our friends, we'd lose our friends. We didn't get those friends by making braggadocious self-claims. We got those friends by connecting, building relationships, being honest, being transparent, even being vulnerable, even admitting what we can't do. Now, I stress that because in our rush to tell people how great our company is, we often tell them why they should do something before we're really clear about what they can do here, what you're asking them to do on this page. Is it to generate a lead? We often don't know it's a download. Why? Because there's 16 calls to action on the same page. Because they're not, they're not, even, they're not even focused or layered or sequenced. They're all screaming at me at the same time. I come to your page and I don't even hear a story. I don't read and listen to a voice, but a plurality of voices. In fact, there's so many voices coming that I lose the meaning, and your voice becomes not a voice, but noise. Marketers, we can't control the unfolding story if we don't understand that our job is not to hit them with so many offers that we'll finally find one they like. So many calls to action that one of them might connect. Our job is to know what they need, put it in front of them, and communicate it clearly. Keep this in mind, and I'm going to keep going. Now, look, I'm just in the exposition phrase. I know that live op is coming. I'm going to sort of tighten my pace as I move forward, but there's a lot that has to be done here. We neglect the first four inches of the page and work on everything else afterwards. And what we do afterwards doesn't matter because we didn't get this right. So here's, a, here's an example of, uh, uh, of just a web page somebody sent to us. 70 years in the community, building a bright future together. 
Is this woman in pain? Actually, I'm not sure what she's doing, but none of it looks normal. And look how big... They're laughing at me in this day. Look, look how the page, half of the page is a picture of the underside of her chin. And 70 years in the community, what does that have to do with her face? And then I got a whole bunch of boxes. I don't have story click. I don't even know where I'm at. I don't know what I can do here. I don't know why I should do it. And the page, in very, very express scientific terms, sucks. I don't mean to be rude. I just want you to understand how bad it is. And I also am not trying to hurt anybody that submitted the page. I'm just trying to teach you. And the reality is, we don't have time to miss the vital importance of getting those three questions right. Here comes the next. Where's the story click on this page? Actually, it looks like there's three things talking at once. They're evenly weighted. Two buttons. A bunch of other links on the right-hand side. There's a button above those buttons. One, two buttons. And then one, two, three, four, five calls to action, including a view programs button. And I don't know how they all come together. This is the kind of page the internet is full of. It's good news for you if you have a competitor because they're doing it wrong. And, uh, and we've got people doing it wrong copying each other. We call it best practices. That's not best practices. That's called pooled ignorance. You need, you need to know systematically how to get engaged in that normal conversation and the unfolding story in their mind. So let's go to the second thing, creating a rising action. Now remember, there's three big pieces here. We're going to talk about the second one. And here's a piece of rising action. This is where Obi-Wan fights Darth Vader. And of course, Vader wins. Why is that important? Because it makes it impossible for Luke to win. I mean, if, if, if Obi-Wan loses, how could Luke possibly win against this villain? Very important. We're building the intensity of the problem. And this is often marked by things like fight scenes and plot twists and character insights. And there's sort of an internal story going on that is the story inside of the, of the main character's life and an external story. That's the, that's the story outside, the opposition outside. Typically, a character has two forms of opposition. One is the, the obstacle character and the, the, what we call the antagonist because the, the protagonist is the main character. But there's also a sort of internal opposition and they've got to overcome problems inside. Fears, a lack of confidence, believing they're the chosen one, whatever it happens to be. Now, how does that connect? Look at our page. Um, what we've done is intensified the problem or intensified the solution. The mix between which one we focus on the most depends on how cognizant, how aware the audience is of their problem. Now, we do this with five elements. This is practical. This is that long section. When you saw that long section, you might have said, well, God, how can I write that? It's one section. You should have broke that down into four for us. Look, it's three, it's three acts whether we want it to be or not. It's really a question of what do you do in that middle act. And I'll tell you, that you can see five in front of you. Proofs, features, benefits, incentives, and urgency elements. All of those are ways that we can intensify either the problem or the solution. I'm going to continue, but I'm going to show you some examples of each. Before I do so, I'm walking over to the screen and saying, is this helping you? Talk to me. I want to look at you as you use the Q&A feature or, uh, or tweets to sort of tell me. Give me feedback so I can optimize live based on what you're telling me. All right, I'm watching Karen McRae and Robert. Uh, Robert, thank you for the kind words. Um, just keep giving us your feedback. We're reading it to see if we're, if we're, if we're helping you in the most effective way we possibly can. While my staff is reading that and I'm sort of watching it over here, I'm going to keep going. 
Here's an example of intensifiers. Look at the statement. Ten years of optimization experiments. By the way, that's an understatement. We've been doing it a lot longer. And we've done that and said that because we'd rather understate than overstate. We want to be accurate with what we say. 10,000 landing pages tested and optimized. 1,000 marketing case studies. 10 million. That's way under the number the 10 million is. Why? It's enough. It was, it was safe enough to say. But if we went back and did the research, it's far more than that. But what are we doing there? We're communicating. We're intensifying the solution. Isn't it credible to think that out of all that, someone might be able to go to this event and learn something? So, here's an example of benefits. Now, we've taken intensifiers, we translated them, we've taken the proofs, and we've shown how that translates into benefits. And you'll learn to do the things that it describes you. Measure what matters. Test your mission critical activities. Optimize your conversion process. Same thing we're going to be learning uh, in, in Denver next week, except this one will be uh, even uh, more sophisticated than last year. In fact, we're going to be running live experiments and doing the validity with you. The audience is going to create treatments that we actually take live and we want to show you an unfolding experiment and all the optimization science behind it. But that's proofs and benefits. Features. Ten years of optimization laboratory research and we explain that. Uh, new researchers, like it says here, uh, 1,300 plus major experiments. And it just starts to explain what you'll receive. See the language there? Tangible details. We've got to translate. Now, this is very important. Listen to me carefully. Every great writer knows this when they're writing story, but every great copywriter knows it also. Whenever you're promising something in exchange, you've got to help them conceptualize, help them imagine exactly what it is they're getting and how it looks in their life. If you can't do that, you're going to leave them trying to figure that out. And that's far too much unsupervised thinking. It's a phrase I've used before. It almost sounds manipulative, but I don't mean it manipulative. I just mean that you can't leave it up to them to make the meaning. You've got to help them make the meaning because you're trying to help them make what is the right choice. And if you have an authentic value proposition, if you are the best solution for that particular customer set, then you're doing the right thing as you serve them in this way. Which brings me to more intensifiers. Incentive. All attendees will receive a copy of Bob Heyman's new book and it shows a copy of the book. And urgency. It talks about the sellout and Critical reasons why, look at there, you can reserve your ticket a day and save $200. See how those intensifiers are being built in? This page, and you'll be able to see this when we uh, release the video and the transcript of today's teaching, it's a good model for how copy can unfold. Now, all five of these elements can appeal to both the internal and external challenges in transfer of the character. Now listen, this is big. Most profound thing I have to say. Uh, let me suppose you're in the service business. Let's, I know everybody's not in this, but it's a good example. Suppose you're on the phone right now. You offer a service. Uh, I'm going to make the service up. Let's suppose that you help people get more meaning out of their metrics. That's your main business. That's your service business. You go in there, straighten out their metrics, and you help them translate their metrics into uh, ROI, actionable decisions. Now, if that is your service, bear in mind that you're actually achieving a sort of resolution to two stories. The first is the external. That company can, can get a higher set of results, a better set of results, more yeses by interpreting their, their metrics into an understanding about the customer that translates into predictable behavior, that translates into more conversions, that translates into more top line, that translates into a lower CPA, that translates into more margin. You see, I'm telling the story. This is how it works. That gives them an ROI. That's the outside story. Just like here, the external story of Star Wars, save the world. But there's an internal story. 
The internal story is that you yourself will learn something that will make your career better in the future, achieve a significant result that will be valued by your boss. And if, if, if the savvy marketer understands how their solution is driving both the external victory and the internal victory, they can write far more effective copy. Here's the internal story for Luke. Overcome his past, become a Jedi master. All of that is sort of locked up in this unfolding set of action. And what's happening on the outside are simply critical drivers of what's happening on the inside. And frankly, what's happening on the inside, its resolution, is what produces the win on the outside. Now, I said it carefully. Anybody that's familiar with screenwriting and story play knows that the, the typical resolution in the third act occurs because something changes in the character that enables them to see the world differently or behave differently and thus they're able to overcome the challenge. Now, there's an exception to that. That's in that rare case where the whole point of the story is that the character never changes in the face of opposition. But that's a rare and separate uh, sort of uh, storyline. Most stories, on the outside are driven by change on the inside. Copywriter, you are telling a story that has an impact on the external but also the internal. And if all you talk about are the external, you'll miss the point. So, that brings me to the third act. I've got to get to live optimization. I've got to teach this and there's a, there's a question on the screen. Here it is. Um, let me see. I don't see the question right now. Oh, yes. It seems a bit unfair to compare home pages serving multiple functions and masters to a dedicated landing page. How could the home page for Marketing Sherpa compare? Um, let me explain that to you in a split second. I have an entire web clinic on the difference between landing pages and home pages. But guess what? Home page has a mission too. In most cases, the home page is the front door and the job of the home page is to get you in the right room. Did you hear that? And so, no, it's not about getting person in in a specific room, but getting each person in the right room. And so the home page has a very uh, parallel set of principles that guide it. It's just that the outcome isn't necessarily to click on a specific link unless your home page is your landing page, but rather making certain that you get on the right path to the right link. And there's a way you approach that. So let me continue. Create your climax and resolution. In story, the climax is the single event that everything builds towards. And uh, here it is for our optimization summit. Reserve your optimization ticket. Uh, I want you to click on that button. But to get you to click on that button, I've got to get you to say yes many more times first. This is the macro yes. Click the button. You might say it's the beginning of the macro yes. You could argue with me that the macro yes occurs <coughs> when they click the confirm or the send order. I understand that. But I don't want to get lost in that point. I just want you to know that this climax is at the peak of rising action, subdramas, and at the climax, the sort of the subclimax of every subdrama, there's a micro yes. That is, will I read from the headline to the opening landing page? Will I go from the from the let's say, will I read let's start earlier. Will I click through on this ad? Will I read this headline? Will I move from this headline to the first paragraph? Will I move from this into the features of the will I see Driving them through the text requires a whole bunch of acquiescence, a whole lot of yeses, and it only takes one note to stop the process. So, here's four questions to ask yourself at the call to action stage. One, is it really visible? Is it in the right? I mean, honest to goodness, I look at page after page where it's hard to figure out where I'm supposed to click. 
Does your call to action imply value, immediacy, and or urgency? Did you hear that? Your button, your call to action should be value positive, not value neutral and not value negative. It's value negative when you use words like submit or register. It's value neutral when you say something like click here. It should be value positive. It should give me a reason to click that connects me with an immediate benefit. You see immediacy? So I want value, I want immediacy, and I want urgency. You'll see in this button, it says, so don't delay, reserve your ticket today, and save $200. There's urgency. And then, it, does it imply value? Well, you're reserving your space. Uh, how good is this button? 7 out of 10. Worked. We sold out. Good enough. Bravo to the copywriter. Um, could it be better? Sure. But it has urgency. It implies value trading on the velocity and momentum of the earlier copy. That's where its value is derived. And it has immediacy. All right, so keeping all of that, let's go to the next. Does it come in the right time in the thought sequence? Listen, putting that button too early is asking me to make a decision before I have enough information to make a proper decision, which means my decision is no. I have told this over and over again. I don't want to wear my audience out. Some of you heard it over and over again. Please bear with me. I'm trying to, we're trying to um, save the world. Uh, we have to keep saying this over and over again. Um, if, if, if John Powell to my right, uh, he's married, and, and, uh, and, but if John was single and he met a girl tonight and he was, she was at a restaurant or at a bar and he walked up to her, kissed her phone on the lips and asked her to marry him, he's probably got the call to action uh, too early in the process. We've heard me say this. I generally tell it in the form of a story. I just want to make a point. What did John do there? He got the call to action above the fold. Congratulations. He also lost the girl. Had he walked up to her, asked a sensible question, engaged in a conversation, and then went through a series of micro-yeses that led with probably getting a number so he could contact her and then led to perhaps you know, meeting her for Starbucks at coffee and then led to the process that any successful relationship, his wife, his current wife, they met online. And uh, they did. They were gamers and stuff like that. Right, John? And, and then he flew down and met her. It was a, how long did it take you, John? Six months. Six months of micro-yeses. And then another year, six months to fly down. That was a big sort of micro yes. That's rising action. Then another year before he got her to say yes. And I, I, John's sitting right here, and I got to tell you, he's really ugly. This girl was, you know, his chances were very low. Uh, I'm teasing John. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm truly teasing. Uh, my, my, because John was my assistant, so I can't help but tease him. I was there. I saw it all. I was at the wedding, and uh, 18 months of optimization. And here at Mech Lab, we did all that we could to help. Um, my point for you is um, get the call to action in the right order. Here's the number four thing. Does your call to action ask or assume? I don't know where we got the idea that we're supposed to force people, that they're all sheep and we just shout at them real loud. And the louder we shout and the more authority we claim, the quicker they're going to rush out and do what we want. But it's uh, stupid, arrogant thinking. We need to ask. We need to ask sometimes. And at least ask or even if it's not in the form of a question mark, it should be polite. We're talking to people, not targets. And it should change the way we craft our copy. Look at this sketch. It summarizes everything. I'm going to move to live optimization. These story elements are now crafted into the sketch. You have the exposition. You have the rising action and the components beneath it. The proofs, the benefits, the features, the incentives, the urgency, and you have the climax. And there is a great parallel 
between the unfolding thought sequence in the mind of the prospect and the unfolding thought sequence in the mind of the audience. Learn to benefit in your copy from the parallels. Let me continue. Um, I am going to move the live optimization. I have just a few moments left. We're going to do one. As we do so, you'll notice uh, that my team wants to remind you that we have uh, a training week in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, three days of nothing but training. It's not a summit. It's us. It's our scientists, including me, teaching. Teaching, 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 teaching for hours, certifying you and helping you learn. Uh, you can read about it there. Let me move on to the final submission. Is that you, Paul Finney? Paul, is this your first time up here? It is. Okay, so look, audience, you can't click away yet. <laughs> I tried to get Paul up here before. I have him here now. You'll see that he's, he's articulate, he's handsome, and he's intelligent. Uh, tell us, Paul, what you, you would do to that, make this though. better. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, the first thing I would want to do about this page is imagine it through the eyes of the customer. So um, in thinking in the terms of that story, uh, right now it looks like it's optimized for SEO. Um, there's a keyword up there. It's, uh, there's not a lot of clarity. So the first thing I do is maybe say, um, and by the way, they're selling boilers. Um, boilers provide heat and uh, humidity to uh, buildings and facilities. Um, I want to know if I'm going to rent a boiler. Um, a, can I get it in my area? And B, um, how fast can I get it? Uh, usually if I'm going to rent a boiler, it's probably because of a disaster situation or uh, my boiler just uh, quit on me. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to use maybe a headline that's like, um, you know, get your boiler and get your boiler in X amount of days, uh, and then maybe a subheadline um, that says, uh, we're the world's um, largest provider of boilers, and so we can get them to you in X amount of days, and we can get you the right model that you need. Uh, and by the way, here's some specs. Um, and then, obviously, I'll let Flint talk about the submit button down there. On okay. The Excellent. Yeah. We have two minutes left, so otherwise um, I have to do a song now, Paul. But um, okay. we'll just we'll go. Let me let me continue. Just stay up here with me, and we'll close it out together. Listen, guys. Of course, the colors are all wrong. It's hard to read. The design is absolutely fatally flawed. But let's talk about the copy. We need a headline. Don't just tell me where I'm at. Tell me what I can do here. The white text underneath rental boiler doesn't really serve as a headline. It looks like opening text to the paragraph. It looks jumbled together. There's no space between it and the first paragraph, so it looks like it's part of the paragraph. We need a strong headline. And if you made this claim that Paul just said about world's largest, you need to substantiate it with statistics, with information, with specificity. And then you need to sort of unfold in a reasonable order. And you then need to ask yourself, how much information do they need in order to provide me with that form on the right? And what are they getting? It says, for boiler sales, rentals, or lease, and it gives you an 800 number and a form. Number one, I just call the number. I wouldn't put that right on the form if I was going to use it. Putting it on the form uh, is the wrong place. Number two, it tells me that if I submit this, I'm going to be pestered by salesmen. So the entire messaging is wrong. I don't have a strong enough value proposition being offered on this page. What is the value proposition on this page about? Well, it's tangentially about the boilers, but reality, it's about what I get in exchange for giving me that lead information. You need to give me a better reason to complete that form. And uh, we don't do that. This looks like the typical sort of form done by someone in, uh, in the engineering and manufacturing trades. Uh, I just did an experiment, and Perry submitted this. And Perry, I know that I don't have time to help you as much as I would like, but Perry, we just did a form like this for a company. I, if I told you a name, you know they are, who they are. They're a multi-billion dollar industrial 
the, 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 the optimized lead generation form produced a 600% plus increase. If you'll send us what you're thinking about this form, we'll have Paul or John or one of us here actually give you back some feedback because you've been brave enough to provide your submissions. Others of you sent your pages in and we ran out of time today because the material was, it was so important to communicate it. We'll try to get your pages in and use them and we'll let you know when and how we might be able to help you. I want to thank you for coming today. I'd like to ask you to, to go ahead and, and give us some feedback on how well this has worked for you. And before I go, I'd like you just to sort of use the Q&A feature and tell me, did you find this helpful today? Give me your feedback so I can read it because I'm going straight out of the studio only after I've read that uh, into my next engagement. I'm grateful for your trust. And I'd ask that if you find this useful, you tell a friend. We need to build a community of evidence-based marketers.